0: Father, we continue in worship this morning and we're thankful that we can celebrate you and one another and enjoy each other, Lord, and and laugh and love and learn and cry. And we pray that this morning that uh, your word would speak to us, Lord, that you would um, express to us how you really feel and uh, give us your wisdom and insight into your word from your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Hey, welcome here. If you're just joining us, we're so glad you're here to worship with us. Whether you're in person or joining online, we're thankful uh, that you've set aside the time to intentionally connect with the family here at Midland Free. If you weren't here just a few minutes ago, I started our Valentine's Day um, welcome with some amazing jokes. Were they not very, very funny? Oh, wow, yeah. I got another one. Do you want it or no? Okay, I heard a yes. Very good. All right, so how did the telephone propose to his girlfriend? He gave her a ring, exactly right, good job. Okay, well, hopefully the sermon's going to be better than the jokes. Here we go, Colossians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 16 and continue our series that focuses on Christ as we as a gospel-centered family continue to move one step closer to Jesus every day. We're looking at the book of Colossians, and it really, really hits hard on the person of Christ and who he is and how to um, do better in your relationship with him. So let's begin in verse 16 as the apostle picks up and says this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on aestheticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head these, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so the way this text is structured this morning is it's essentially a sandwich. I'm going to start talking about food here early. Hopefully you won't get too hungry, but it is two commands And right in the middle of those two commands is this central portion in verse um, 17 that talks about shadow and substance. And so if you're taking notes today, that's the way I'm going to structure this sermon. You saw the title is Shadows and Substance, Shadows and Substance. We're going to talk about two shadows and then the one substance, two shadows and the one substance. And basically what's going to happen is, um, the first shadow is um, on top, and then you have that next sentence verse sixteen seventeen sorry that says these so the, or sorry there 's two commands, and each command addresses one of the shadows okay so of the two shadows we start with shadows there 's two of them each command addresses one of the shadows, and in between. Those two commands is where you see the central portion that says these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So it goes command, and then that central statement, and then another command. So essentially, just remember this: shadows and substance, shadows and substance, shadows and substance. Let's start start out with the two shadows, and the first one. I actually want to start. I want to go to the second command first, the second shadow first, and that is mysticism. Verse 18, verse 18 says this, it says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism and the worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. What this is essentially talking about is, in short form, something called mysticism, Now, indeed, Christianity has a spiritual aspect to it, a a sense of an experience that's beyond the tangible, that's beyond the corporal, that's unseen. So we pray, we have the Holy Spirit, we do experience something supernatural or metaphysical. But this goes even beyond that to say that um, essentially the essence of, of religion or the essence of the spiritual experience is not just your prayer life or your relationship with Jesus, but instead it is these supernatural experiences. It is very experientially oriented. It is about visions and encounters and angels and stuff like that. And what that essentially does, what's really, really, really wrong with that is that downplays the person of jesus christ it sets something else higher than him it's yeah jesus is good but real spiritual enlightenment real spiritual attainment comes from this from aestheticism from worship of angels from details of visions and all of this is really just a bunch of gobbledygook Colossians 2.23 in the message says it like this. It says, such things sound impressive if sound and said in a deep enough voice. They even give the illusion of being pious and humble and aesthetic, but they're just another way of showing off, making yourselves look important. Now, in Colossae, it was one thing, but... In our culture, you've probably seen things like this too. I mean, our culture has a modern fascination, I would say, with angels. Even TV shows like "Touched by the Angel," "Touched by an Angel," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, all want to have this supernatural experience. We all want a guardian angel. We all want fairy godmother. We all want someone to come in and help us. The problem is, we're looking to someone other than the someone who has been sent to help. It's not a fairy godmother. It's not an angel. It is a person. And his name is Jesus. And so verse 18 really goes after that. It's like, look, you guys are looking for help in all the wrong places. The help is not from these just wishing on the stars or other magical encounters or Disney experiences or whatever. The help is from a person, a real person, someone you know and have seen and heard. And his name is Jesus. So let no one disqualify you as the command. Let no one disqualify you. And look, this is a big deal because you will go to some churches today and they will say to you, if you haven't had this supernatural experience, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. That's not true. Look at Colossians. It doesn't say that. It actually says the exact opposite. Don't worry about the visions. Don't worry about the angels. Don't worry about all the steticism and fancy worship and yada, yada. Worry about the person. If you go somewhere and they disqualify you because you haven't had some spiritual experience, Paul says that's wrong. Let no one disqualify you. Just because you haven't had some ecstatic spiritual experience or whatever else, it, it just says nothing. It's not something even here to be pursued. Let no one disqualify you. And if someone is, you're in the wrong spot. That's called mysticism, and that is not biblical, objective, personal Christianity. So, number one, the first shadow is mysticism. The first shadow is mysticism. You know, all these books on the shelves about I spent so many minutes or so many hours in heaven or I experienced this or I experienced that. Everything is me and my experience. That is not Christianity. Objective Christianity doesn't focus on me and my experience. It focuses on Jesus and who he is. There's a big difference there. Yeah, we all want to have an experience. Yeah, we all want to see a miracle. But that is not the point. We have a miracle. And that is Christ, the person. So number one, let no one disqualify you. That's the first shadow. That's the non-thing. That's not the substance is this idea of mysticism. The second one is legalism. And maybe maybe you grew up in church, maybe you didn't. But some of us probably have grown up in church. And probably there's some that have grown up in churches that are more mystically oriented. And there's some that have grown up in churches that are more legalistic. And that's verse 16. That's the other command. That's the first one we read. In verse 16, it says, Let no one pass judgment upon you. Let no one pass judgment upon you. Now, here in Colossae, what was happening is this. In verse 16, they're asking all these questions because they have this cultural background that they bring to the table that's very significant and that establishes their identity as people of God. You probably know which culture I'm talking about. Verse 16 says questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath and surrounding those festivals and surrounding those um, celebrations in verse 20b and following, there's all these regulations, you know, don't handle this, don't touch this, do this, don't do that, yada, yada, yada. There's a really long list and a really significant code. And probably what was happening in this church is there was someone who'd come into the church from that cultural background and they were saying, yeah, we need to do this too, in addition to our Christianity. Now listen, believe it or not, that's not that foreign from what happens today. There's actually a Hebrew Roots movement out there, and it's kind of interesting to see because... Um, For those of us who are modern evangelical Christians, we understand that our faith springs from the Old Testament, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And all these feasts and celebrations and rituals, they all point to him. So he fulfills it, and we have it, and that means we don't need them. But some people come back and say, yeah, you need him and them too. And they begin to teach that Christians should observe like a literal Sabbath, which was yesterday. You should do no work, and you worship everything on Saturday. And they'll reinstitute the feast and all this. And believe me, I'm for understanding the cultural, historical backgrounds that go into making us who we are. But I am not for living out that thing that Jesus canceled on the cross. I am not for living out the legal code. But someone in this church was saying that you had to. And if honestly, if you go online you will encounter these teachers and they'll begin to wear the phylacteries and they'll take on all these other cultural things and make them the substance. But what Paul is saying here is those are not the substance. Those are the shadow. Those are not the thing itself. The thing is the Messiah. It is the person, Jesus, the Christ. So maybe you haven't encountered that. I've actually... I I had a leader in one church that I was a part of a long time ago, over a big ministry, and he, he was really going down that path, and I couldn't pull him back. He's saying, "Look, you know this and that, and this and that, and this. Hang on, man. The person is Christ. Don't. But yeah, but it's my life is so much better when I take a full Sabbath on Saturday. Yeah, great. But and he was gone. He left. Well, it happens in that form. It happens in other forms, too. Um, We make rules. I think personally at our church, we probably don't struggle with legalism as much as some others. We probably err on the other side. We probably are a little too licentious and could learn a thing from our more pietistic brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you were raised in a legalistic church, if you were raised in a very dogmatic place, you probably still hear those voices in your head like, oh, I shouldn't touch that. I shouldn't do that. I'm a bad person if I blah, 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 blah. But here's what legalism does and here's why it's such a erroneous thing. Just like mysticism points to something other than Christ, mysticism points to angels or mysticism points to personal experience. Guess what legalism points to? Either... I succeeded or I failed. But it's all about me. If I did really good today, if I checked all the boxes, then I feel pretty good about myself. You know, I showed up at church, I tithed, I served, I gave blood, I paid my taxes, yeah, I'm doing all right, you know, check. I'm a good person. Oh, no, you know, I held back on my tithe, I didn't go to church, da 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 da, da. I'm a bad person. And then you swing, and you, you, one day you, you do well in a situation, and another day you do not so well in a situation. And you just are like a pendulum or a wave being tossed back and forth from pride to guilt, and pride to guilt, and pride to guilt. And we don't want to be in either spot. Don't we'll be prideful about, oh, I think I did it. <laughs> so what? Don't we'll be guilty as if anyone other than Christ is perfect. You can't be in either place. It's not the right place to be. And that, that is what legalism does to a person. It either makes them very prideful and arrogant and full of themselves or ashamed and discouraged and depressed. And neither of those is right. Instead, we need to get to the middle. Well, how do we do that? We get rid of the shadows, mysticism and legalism, and we move to the substance The person. We get rid of the shadows, the legalism, mysticism, and move to the person. Verse 19 is interesting because uh, it, it talks about not holding fast to the head. In both of these instances, in legalism or in mysticism, what's happening is they're not holding on to Jesus. They're holding on to something else. They're holding on to their spiritual experience. Or they're holding on to the fact that they did a good job. But that is wrong. That's not what you're supposed to hold on to. What you're supposed to hold on to is Christ. Hold fast to him. Hold on to Jesus. There's the substance. Now, in this text, um, that is a... It becomes clear that that's what we're supposed to do. But as people, it can be hard to say, well, how do I do it? Like, um, even the Bible affirms in First Timothy 6, verse 16, that no one has ever seen or can see God the Father. No one's ever seen God the Father, so... Pastor, you're telling me to hold on to someone I've never seen. That's kind of tricky. How does that work? Hang with me for just a second. We're going to dive just a little deeper here, and I want to explain to you how that plays out. It is true that physically speaking, I think we cannot hold on to God the Father, okay? And what do I mean by that? We as Christians are what, are what is called, here's a big word you don't have to remember, if you do, cool, fun, neat, whatever, monotheistic Trinitarians. We're monotheistic Trinitarians. We believe in one God and three persons, one God and three persons. And this isn't Pastor Jeremy just waxing eloquent about theology, but this is the core and substance. This is the substance of who we are. It is the person. It is the relationship. It is your salvation. If there was no Trinity, there's no salvation. Okay, let me show you what I mean. Because there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. What that means is one God. We worship one God in three persons. Now, that another way you could say that is one what and three who's. Okay, One what, three who's. One God, three persons. Now, what that means is the Bible is right. No one's ever seen God the Father for sure. But what happens is God the Father sends God the Son, the second person, The second who of the one what? To become human. Okay? And so then when we ask, what is God the Father like? All we have to do is look at God the Son because the Bible tells us in Colossians 1.15 that Jesus is that image of the invisible God. That All the things that God the Father possesses, infinite mortality, perfect power, beauty, justice, might, love, grace, mercy, the profound things that only God is perfectly in every way, Jesus is as well. And therefore, if you want to hold fast to something, if you want to hold fast to that God who dwells in inapproachable light, the only way to do so Is to hold on to his son. Jesus the Christ. But wait pastor. Jesus the Christ. Lived 2000 years ago. He's not here. I can't hold on to him. Oh wait. How many persons. Of the Trinity are there. We've left one out. There's God the spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Now, they're all fully God, but God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son's not the Spirit. The Spirit's not the Father, but they're all God. Now, the Spirit is still here. In fact, He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's universal at all times. But in a special way, when you believe in Jesus, what Jesus does, just like God the Father sent God the Son... God the Son sends God the Spirit. God the Father sent God the Son to be on this earth. God the Son sent God the Spirit to be in us. And that is how we hold on to Jesus or hold fast to Him. is because God the Spirit is united to God the Son. And God the Son is united to God the Father. When the Spirit's in us, then we're in Him. And you read that phrase throughout the entire New Testament here over and over again, in him, in Christ, in him, in Christ. And parents, brothers and sisters, this is my prayer for you and especially for my children and for me, is that we will find our everything in him, in our identity in Christ. Now, what does that mean? Because, man, I promise you, I pray that over my daughter, almost every day, I pray for her that she will find her identity in Jesus. Why? Because so many little girls find their identity and self-worth and other stuff, right? And the wrong things. and they get so messed up and hurt and broken and violated that it's pathetic. But here is who we hold on to: the person of Jesus Christ. He is the substance, and what it means is this. We don't have to worry about some crazy experience. We don't have to worry about measuring up, because Jesus already did. Look at verse 14. Here's the objective basis for our salvation. This is not subjective experience. This is concrete reality. It says that Jesus canceled the record. Verse 14, I'm sorry, I said 16. There was verse 14. Jesus canceled the record, and therefore, verse 16 says, Let no one pass judgment. Because of what Jesus did, therefore, let no one pass judgment. So understand, this text is not some self-help guru that's telling you to be like, "Uh uh-uh, you can't judge me. No, that's not what it is. It's not your own self-pride, legalistic, whatever power, yada, yada. This instead is saying, looking away from ourselves and looking to Christ, here's what we see, that the infinite and almighty God became human and substituted himself on our behalf and paid the debt that I owed. And when he paid the debt for my sin, then my debt record has been canceled and obliterated. It's been nailed to the cross and I owe nothing. It's very much from the world of finance or banking. It's like if you had this huge debt over you that you could never pay and your creditors are always calling and giving you grief and your wages have been in pounded and you're about to get locked up and all of a sudden someone comes through and pays off every single debt you ever had and puts a huge sum of money in your bank and cancels any obligation, you're free. And you walk around a rich person, not because of what you did, but because of that other person who came in and paid your way. See, if it was what you did, you'd be poor. And I mean poor but because of christ you're rich here's what's happening here it's saying therefore because jesus canceled the record let no one pass judgment you have a real objective solid basis for letting no one pass judgment upon you and that reason is because of christ it's not because of you it's not because of me it's not because we did a good job or we're better than the next no it's because of jesus That's objective, it's solid, it's concrete, it's a big deal. And it's important because in our culture, we judge one another all the time. We judge one another based on what aisle of the political spectrum we sit. We judge one another on our accomplishments. Here's one that I like to call the American Idol of Achievement. That's a big one. If we we cast an idol in our culture... I think its middle name would be achievement. And the reason is because everybody, especially in Midland, we want to be the Eagle Scout, the captain, the most popular, most athletic, best looking, valid Victorian champion of the world. Amen. <laughs> well, that's who we want to be, and that's who we tell our kids to be, and we put a lot of pressure on them to make it in that way. But perhaps we have elevated hard work and good things to become an idol. A lot of times, idols are just good things made into the thing. And they really shouldn't be the thing because they're just a shadow. They're not the substance. But here's this achievement idol. And maybe, maybe you're that person who's checked all those boxes and you feel pretty good about yourself. Well, then that's called pride. And that's legalism. Or maybe you're that person who hasn't checked all that boxes and you don't feel good about yourself. And you're discouraged and that's called guilt and that's the other side of legalism and neither of those are right Neither of those are the place we want to be and so when those negative internal voices come up inside your head and whether they're legalism or pride or guilt or whatever they are you say no stop Based on what jesus did you can't judge me And you know what it says? It says, let no one judge you. Do you know who no one includes? You. That means I can't judge me. You can't judge you. No one. No one is qualified to judge other than Jesus. So why do you judge yourselves? You can't judge yourself. That's not your job. Only Jesus is judge. Let no one pass judgment on you. He canceled the record. And if we're really looking at him, then what we see is paid in full. We're looking at ourselves and say, yeah, man, I got some debt. Or, oh, I'm pretty cool. That's the wrong focus. Those are the shadows. Christ is a substance. Focus on him. So when I pray over my little girl at night, man, I pray over her. I say, dear God, Please help her to find her worth in Jesus, in him. And what do I mean by that? I mean, don't let her get caught up in image and magazines and Barbie dolls and friends and popularity and money and whatever else. But as she relates to Christ, let her understand who she is. That is why it's so beautiful when we sing this song earlier that Jesus' love changes everything. It says, come out into the waters, come let the broken sing. That's me, I'm the broken. Come, all you sons and daughters. You go from broken to heir. From beat up and messed up to child of the king. To poor, to rich. And indeed, if that's the case, then his love changes everything. I want my little girl to find her worth in Christ, not because she thinks she's smart or she's pretty or she's whatever, but because Jesus paid her debt. And then that doesn't change based on her performance. Good day or bad day, Jesus still paid. I want her to find her confidence in Jesus. It's not about girl power. Sorry. She's already said that a few times. Kind of funny. All the messages coming down the pipe. Girl power. Well, honey. I love you more than anything. But it's about Jesus' power. It's got nothing to do with girl power. It's got nothing to do with guy power. It's all about Christ's power. Your confidence needs to be in him because at some point even girl power fails. Well, Let me admit it. It's Valentine's Day. It's strong, right? I know. But it's not like Jesus'. Your confidence needs to be in him and who he is and what he did. What about joy, honey, sweetheart? Your joy needs to be in Jesus. Yeah, it's fun to do all those other things you get so excited about. I love the tea party. It was great. But uh, sometimes the tea spills, the toast is burnt, and it doesn't work out. Your joy needs to be in Jesus. Your meaning and your purpose can't be in some fairy tale, fairy godmother, whatever. It needs to be in Christ and his calling on your life. The point is to hold fast to him. He is the substance. In relationship to Christ. Christians, believers. We process everything else. Hold fast to him. This text draws out two things through two commands. It's shadows and substance. Shadows are mysticism and legalism. For mysticism it says let no one disqualify you. For legalism. It says, let no one pass judgment. The substance is clear. Christ, hold fast to him. It is from him that the whole body is nourished and knit together, that experiences a growth which is from God. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will help us to hold fast to him. It's easy to let our grip slip and let go or even to reach for something else. But, Lord, there's nothing else that can hold us up. And so, Lord, each in our own ways, as we struggle, not knowing what our own individual struggles are, Lord, everyone's different. And whether it's pride or legalism, whether it's past experience or whatever, We just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, convict us where we err, and let no one, including ourselves, pass judgment. Lord Jesus, your love has changed everything. We thank you and praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.